0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the My Thing Is This podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. And each week, we talk about what's going on in the world. And as we talk about that, I let you know My Thing Is This about what's going on in the world. Again, I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Welcome to the My Thing Is This podcast. Stay tuned, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. What's up, what's up, what's up? Happy 2022. We're into the second week of January on the weekend in January 9th, two thousand twenty-two, I am your host, Troy Sampson, of the My Thing Is This podcast. Welcome, everybody. I hope everybody had a blessed holiday and New Year, and I still continue to receive blessings into this two thousand twenty-two. I pray that everybody's staying safe, um, washing their hands, social distance, and wearing their masks because this virus, this this COVID nineteen, is still raging with this Omicron. It's more contagious. Supposedly doesn't have the effects on everybody that it normally does, but you know it's still raging nonetheless, and people are getting affected all the time. Um, I had a, a potential scare. I went and got tested. Come out, turn, turns out to be negative, uh, so I didn't have it. Um, so me and my family got thank God are still COVID free. Or if we do have it, we don't know it. But uh, we're all vaccinated and boosted, and so we did the important thing, which was to get vaccinated and boosted. To not stop us from catching COVID, but to stop whatever effects that COVID will have on our bodies. So, we're so we're truly grateful for that. So, this past week, um, I think it was Monday, we had a bunch of snow come to the area, and you would think, especially in I ninety five in Virginia, that you know this DMV area wasn't prepared for it because people were stuck on I ninety five in Virginia. Like the folks down in Georgia were and the folks in Texas were when they got those surprise um, ice storms. and People were stuck on the roads for 8, 9, 10, 12, some of them 24 hours. And so that's what happened on I-95. The snow, they said the snow was coming. I, I, I don't think they anticipated that the snow was going to be this much and it's going to be this heavy. Um, but it caused a lot of problems in Virginia and people were stuck. Truck drivers were complaining that they would they ran out of gas. They called V Dot for assistance six times. One guy said six times they never got any help. And so people were stuck. Um people taking Uber were being charged, you know, six hundred, eight hundred, a thousand dollars, um, no fault of their own, but Uber turned around and said, No, you don't have to pay that. Uh this was a freak this was a, a act of nature, so to speak, or something that you couldn't control. So, you know, we're not going to charge you or make you responsible for paying all that money for being stuck for that long. So shout out to Uber on that. And the snow pretty much had this area you shut down for like a day, day and a half. Um, you know, the snow was heavy. It was heavy. I mean, my son and I got out and shoveled our driveway several times um, to make sure we were clear. I work from home still. My wife works um, maybe five to ten minutes from where we live um, over by the New Carlton Metro Station. She works over there. And um, she had a short commute. They didn't shut them down. Her job didn't shut them down, so she actually ended up going in and had to use the four-wheel drive features on her little SUV. And she got there safely, and then she was able to get home safely. But this snow was heavy, and heavy to a point where it was causing trees to fall, power lines to fall. We actually went without power for some time. Um, Pepco went down for for some time before we got the power restored. And stuff like, you know... um, not right around the corner from where I live is a high school, Charles Flower High School, Charles Herbert Flowers High School. And right there at the intersection of Armorwick Road and St. Joseph Drive, on that corner, there were bam there's like a patch of bamboo, I guess, trees or bamboo rods that grow there, right? The snow was so heavy, it caused those rods or bamboo to basically arch over. So the sidewalk that you walk, leading right beside those bamboo trees or bamboo sticks became like um, a shelter. Um, you know when surfers surf, if you've ever seen surfing, professional surfing, especially the pros, when they surf, they, um, they catch the wave and then they start going down the wave and then all of a sudden that wave starts to curl. And sometimes these surfers disappear inside that curl of the wave. Well, that's what those bamboo trees look like. They look like that curl. So in essence, if this was like a freak, if we got a, like a freak Arctic blast or what they call, I think the movie with Dennis Quaid and Jake Gillen Gyllenhaal, the day after tomorrow where this freak Arctic came down from the North and froze everything from the North down the, down to New York, so to speak, and everybody had to run for cover to the South because it was just this freak thing. If we had one of those, then people would, would be able to take shelter in those bamboos and an arch because it was basically like a shelter. It turned into like a shelter. But anyway, this is unexpected snow. And one of the things that they talked about as to why the road conditions are so bad was, well, that weekend before that Monday when the snow came, it was like 60 degrees outside, which is another thing, another topic for another day. They'll go from 60 degrees to almost a foot of snow in a matter of 24 hours. It's crazy. Um, but anyway... Um, we had gotten rain that weekend, so I don't know about where you live, but in the DMV area where I lived, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, they came up with this new way of treating the roads. Instead of putting down salt, rock salt, before the snow comes, they put down this chemical on the road. And you see them on Route 50 and the major roadways where they out, got these trucks spraying this chemical on the road. And... You see the chemical, it dries up on the road, and then what's supposed to happen with this chemical, as soon as the snow and ice start to hit the roads, that chemical reacts to it and causes the snow and ice to melt. So that's why roadways have been pretty much, when we know snow is coming in the past, and we're dry, where the roadways are dry, and they apply this, this chemical, the roadways get cleaned up pretty quickly. Uh, because the chemical reacts. But they didn't have a chance to do that because it was so wet. So because it was raining, if they had put it down, the rain would have washed all that stuff away anyway. So it would have been pretty much a waste of that chemical. And because they weren't able to put it down because the, the rain and road surfaces was already wet when the snow started, that made for treacherous, ha- you know, hazardous conditions. And that's what happened down in I-95 in Northern Virginia. So we had people you know, um, lose power. Some people down in the Waldorf area were without power for almost a full week. Um, Some of us lost power for a few hours, but some people were out without power for like a full week. People had to resort to generators. And there was a gentleman on the news that lives out, I think, I want to say Stafford County, Virginia, who complained about not receiving the support from Stafford County that the other cities or other citizens receive when it comes to snow like this, because they live in a rural part where, you know, it's like them, the next neighbor's like an acre or two or a mile away. And he said, nobody came out there to check on any people out in in that rural area of Stafford, Stafford County, Virginia. And he said, you know, we got elderly people out here. Nobody came to offer a generator to offer anything to anybody. He was pretty upset about that because it's like all the resources we pay county taxes here too and we should have been looked after like everybody else is looked after and I feel this point I feel this point cuz you know my thing is this cuz this is the, my thing is this podcast if you pay taxes in a county you should receive all the services that are available to everybody in the county if that means your road needs to be plowed, plowed like everybody else's road is plowed in the county you should get that if emergency services or snow services people are going to go and look out for everybody, they should look out for everybody in the county, not just people in the more populated areas. And so, because whether you're in a populated area or you're in a rural area, you still live in the county and you pay county taxes like everybody else. And so, everybody should be afforded the same um, luxuries or the same level of service. Um, so, that was it for the snow. Then, of course, you know. Right before the snow came, we had football on Sunday, and of course Antonio Brown made the news again. <clears throat> this time it was a so-called episode that the Buccaneers made it seem like it was an episode that he had on the sideline where he took his pads off. He got into an argument. It was arguing on the sideline. You can see Mike Evans trying to talk to him and calm him down. He took his pads off, threw his pads on the bench, and took his took his undershirt off, threw that down. Um, and then basically jogged shirtless to the locker room with just his game pants, his cleats, and socks and stuff on, but he had nothing on top, you know, just, you know, bare-chested, jogged to the locker room, waved to the fans and went on. And the story came out that he refused to go in the game, or, and at first it was reported he was benched, is why he got pissed, right? Then it came out that you know, he refused to go into the game, and that was the story that Bruce Arians went with—that he would refuse to go in the game. And so, Bruce Arians painted that narrative that he refused to go in the game. There was a wide receiver, there was a, a a package set for him to be in the game, and Antonio Brown told him he wasn't going in the game, and he was like, "Why?" And Antonio Brown was like, "You know," Antonio Brown said he was hurt; his ankle was messed up. And so, Bruce—you know—at that point, Bruce Evans, Bruce Arians, Bruce Evans, Bruce Arians lost it. Told him he's effing out of here, you're done. And supposedly according to Antonio Brown, gave him the throat the throat slash sign and they said that and according to Antonio Brown, that's what set him off and kind of, you know, caused him to go into this tizzy. And so then Bruce 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 Arians doubles down and says, Well, there's no coaches, no training staff, or anybody came to me and tell me he was hurt. Well, if the player himself is telling you he's hurt, then he's hurt. Okay? If he says he's hurt, then he's hurt. You don't sit there and all of a sudden not take his word for it like you got to hear from a training staff person. And maybe that's the protocols for NFL football teams. But if a player is telling you he's hurt, he can't go back in the game, then instead of telling the man he's effing out of here and giving him the throat slash sign, you deal with it some other way. You say, fine, go sit your butt down. We'll deal with this later. We'll find out what the real deal is. Because I think if they did that and if Antonio Brown shoot for his words down, I'm not saying Antonio Brown in this instance, is completely innocent because he does have a track record. But I think the Bucks played into this too, and I think the Bucks used his pass as a way to cover up Bruce Arians basically firing him on the sideline and covering that up to make it seem as though Antonio Brown's having an episode. Because after the game, Arians stuck to his guns and said, you know, he refused to go in the game, and so he got him out of there. And Tom Brady came out and said, well, you know, we're going to, Stick by a brother and love him in any way, you know. get him, you know, make sure he gets the help that he needs. there? And Daniel Brown had a, had a mental breakdown on the sideline, which, was, according to Daniel Brown, was furthest from the truth. He said he went to the New York New York um, Hospital for special surgery. It's the top hospital in New York City that does orthopedic surgeries for professional athletes. They did Kevin Durant's Achilles, Achilles tear, and you see how well Kevin Durant came back, right? Balling out. I believe they may have also did Clay Thompson's. Um, uh, surgery on his Achilles tear too because you know Clay Thompson just returned uh, is returning or is going to return to the Golden State Warriors soon um, after the ACL tear and then he ruptures his Achilles while recovering from the ACL tear and so I think Clay Thompson might have done the hosp- uh, hospitals for special surgery as well um, I know I heard he at least consulted with Kevin Durant you know about how to come back from that Achilles tear, and I think Kevin said just take your time. You know when you're ready, and so on and so forth. But anyway, so um, Antonio Brown said he's got an MRI with them, and he saw that one of the top doctors there, and apparently he's got tendon tears, he's got bone spurs and ankle, and his bone is kind of sticking out. And he said he just couldn't, he just couldn't give it a hundred percent. That's why he didn't want to go back in the game, and so on and so forth. And so, let's fast forward. The Bucks then. Um, Bruce Arians stuck to his guns. And then as soon as Antonio rele- Antonio Brown released text messages uh, between him and Bruce Arians on social media, that's when the Bucs really dug in and tried to make it seem as though Antonio Brown was having an up episode. So Antonio Brown tweeted these text messages between him and Bruce Arians that dates back to the Thursday before that game where... You know, Arians is saying, hey, get yourself ready to go, blah, 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 blah. Nobody's taking any time off. Antonio Brown's basically saying, coach, I'll do what I can. You know, I got this ankle going on. I'm trying to rehab. And apparently he posted a video of him actually getting ankle rehab from one of the trainers um, or a trainer. um also, when he posted those, those those text messages. And so him and Bruce Arians are going back and forth. Then after Antonio Brown releases those text messages, then Bruce Arians come back and said, yeah, the text messages are true. Because it, initially, Bruce Arians said he didn't know Antonio Brown was hurt. And made it seem as though he had no clue. And so a lot of former NFL players came to Antonio Brown's defense by saying, how does a coach not know when a guy is hurt? If that guy's talking to the training staff, the training staff is going to tell the coach. Then on top of that, if you're going into a game where one of your best receivers is out already with ACL, you want to make sure all your guys are healthy. Yeah, I know as a head coach, you got a lot of things to worry about and take care of, but my thing is this. You should know what's going on with your players, especially your starters. And so for him to act as though he didn't know Antonio Brown had his ankle injury, then when Antonio Brown released those text messages, it kind of died down. So that's when the Buccaneers dug in and went on a smear campaign and started saying stuff. And I think his his attorney, I think his name is Sean Burstyn, came out uh, on Twitter and said, the Buccaneers have done a surprise attack with the medical thing by saying that, well, they scheduled Antonio Brown to have a second opinion, look a second doctor at the hospital for special surgery. A doctor that Antonio Brown was said says was a junior doctor compared to the doctor he was seeing. Um, to try to schedule appointments for him to have his uh, ankle evaluated for a second opinion. And then Antonio Brown was ducking those appointments or ducking those calls for appointments with the Buccaneers. Um, his attorney Burston said, that's not true. He said that the Buccaneers were trying to schedule these appointments with Antonio Brown outside of normal business or operating hours. And so he said, that's why they started playing hardball with that and trying to make Antonio Brown seem as though this was a mill episode and, and try to terminate him from missing those appointments when they were scheduling these appointments for hours of the outside of hours that he was supposed to do anything. And so that's where that sits. And so I was telling friends, I said, listen, this is more just Antonio Brown just didn't go off that particular day. But here's the other fascinating thing about that. Right. So you have the post mortem of that. You have everybody and their mother's talking about it so on and so forth. Nate Burleson talked about it on the CBS post-game that he said, you know, I'm going to leave this where it is. I'm not going to say anything else, but he was eight catches away from $330,000 bonus. He was one touchdown away from another $330,000 bonus. And what was it? So many yards, 55 yards away from another $333,000 bonus. So what Nate Burleson was basically implying was that when it was first reported he was benched That they did that to stop him from reaching those incentives. And so Nate Burleson played years with the, um, I think it was the the Detroit Lions as a wide receiver. And so he's a former player, so he knows about these things. But here's where it gets interesting. So if you want to know the truth, all you have to do is have a conversation with Mike Evans. Mike Evans was the wide receiver, I think, number one or number two wide receivers. It's him and Godwin are the two premier wide receivers. And then I think Antonio, Antonio Brown plays a slot. So it's like the third receiver, but it's like it's Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Godwin's out. So at least Mike Evans out there by himself, right? So Mike Evans was one of the ones that was trying to calm him down when Antonio Brown was going off, right? So the only people that spoke from the Buccaneers was, it was actually three people. Arians in his press conference saying what he said. And then Tom Brady saying what he said about stick by our brother, care for him, get him the help he needs. And then Le'Veon Bell um, was quoted as saying that he had texted Antonio Brown after the game because, you know, him and, him and Antonio Brown go back to the Pittsburgh days. They were at Pittsburgh together. And he said he texted Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown got back to him and so on and so forth and blah, 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 blah. blah. And Le'Veon Bell didn't really give a lot of detail of what actually happened, what was said. But Mike Evans knows exactly why Antonio Brown was going on. But here's what I think happened. I think the Bucks PR, it was a couple things happened. One is the Bucks PR probably grabbed everybody when they got back to the locker room and probably in a closed door session before the media got to them and said, don't nobody speak up about Antonio Brown except for TB12 and Bruce Ains. Everybody else, shut up, right? I think that happened because uh, that's what PR people do, right? And sports information directors, which I think are the PR people for college athletes or college sports, you know, at, at each school, fill that. I think fill that role. They call them SIDs, which is sports information director, or something like that. I think it's quote unquote PR guys for that for the for the student athletes. And so um, I think they were instructed to not to say anything. But Keyshawn Johnson gave a really, really interesting take on his show that he does with um, J. Will, J. Williams um, of Duke, J., the Duke J. Williams, and um, Max Kellerman, former co-host of First Take, who <laughs> supposedly got fired from First Take by Stephen A., but got an upgrade, got put on a show in a nice slot with, Keyshawn and Jay Will and then got his own show this just in it comes on 2 o'clock in the afternoon after that and he still has Max on boxing so for a guy that got fired from first take he, he landed pretty well but anyway so Keyshawn came on the show and talked about how Mike Evans is not gonna say anything and so and he explained why he said number one he doesn't know if Mike Evans is in the contract year or not. And Mike Evans doesn't want to rattle or poke that bear, which is the Buccaneers organization by telling everybody what really happened on the sideline. That's one. He said, number two, doesn't want to be a distraction going into the playoffs because if Mike Evans was to speak to the media and said, this is what happened and it's the Bucs' fault and the Bucks are the guilty ones in this, it's gonna create a whole firestorm and that's gonna be the talk of the last week of the season and going into the playoffs is how the Bucks carried Antonio Brown. And so I think Mike Evans was explicitly told not to say anything after he had the, the interaction with Antonio Brown to the media about anything that happened. Plus I don't think Mike Evans wants to rattle that cage anyway. And so that was Keyshawn's take. So that was what was going on with Antonio Brown. Again, I think Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is is a surefire Hall of Famer. In the 12 seasons he's played in the NFL, most of them being with the Pittsburgh Steelers, he did Pittsburgh, New England, didn't even really play for the Raiders. Or should I say the Raiders? Didn't really play for the Raiders. And then Tampa Bay. But look at his numbers. And this is from profootballreference.com. Not 928 receptions, 12,291 yards. Wow. 83 touchdowns. Wow. That's that that's that's crazy. That's that's Hall of Fame numbers right there. Those are Hall of Fame numbers. And I think it was Ryan Clark um, talked about Antonio Brown, how he was the most electrifying playmaking wide receiver he's probably ever seen. But that these last few years, he's not played that way. And he said the reason why Antonio Brown's been getting the benefit of the doubt and being able to get continue to get jobs is that resume that he laid out. That dude was a beast, man. That dude was a beast in Pittsburgh. And so when you're a beast, they're gonna to continue to give you shots. Right? Um So that's where it is with Antonio Brown. And my thing is this, I think the Bucks are more the revealing in this than Antonio Brown. And like I said, by no way am I endorsing Antonio Brown's behavior. Because actually Antonio Brown could have really handled that situation a lot differently. When Bruce Arians said you're out of here, he could have just he if he hadn't taken off his shoulder pads and did what he did and with the tirade and just grabbed his helmet and just walked off the field into the locker room and as he's going tell the sideline reporter for the the TV for the uh, broadcaster that that he's he's got issues with his ankle and there would have been no firestorm, none of that. Even after Bruce Arians. Said, you're out of here, right? If Antonio Brown had said, you know what, I am, let me grab my helmet, let me start peeling off my tape, let me walk back to the locker room. If Tracy Wolfston or um, Lisa Salters or whoever was covering the sideline reporting for that game and asked him what was going on, he could have said, hey, my ankle. You know, I've been dealing with this ankle all week as my ankle, so I'm, I'm pretty much done and left it at that. And then after the fact, because what that was, when that came, if he had did that, if he had did that that way, and this is where sometimes, you know, guys need either a hired crisis manager or a personal one that could be in your circle that can help, say, it's helped you make the right decision. Now, you're not going to have a crisis manager sitting on the sideline doing an NFL football game. But if you work with a crisis manager enough, and go through processes and steps enough, he would have known, you know what? Let this fall back on Bruce Arians because he told me I was out of here because of my ankle, and I told him my ankle I couldn't go. Let me go here and lay my ducks out here and make him look bad. But instead, he did his thing, and of course, everybody jumped on it and assumed he was going off. But anyway, that's enough about Antonio Brown. We had another prominent African-American, actually Bahamian and African-American, um, um, person died this over this past weekend. That's Sydney Poitier. Sydney Poitier is famous for raising the son to serve with love. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Poor Game Best. Um, my favorite roles. Um, guess who's coming to dinner? Well, him. The favorite, <laughs> the favorite roles I enjoyed him in really was the roles he did with Bill Cosby. Even though they were comedies, and I think his, I think his. His drama work was on point. To Serve with Love was on point. Raising a son was on point. Porky and Bess was on point. But what I really enjoyed was Uptown Saturday Night, Let's Do It Again. Those movies he did with, with, um, with Bill Cosby, AKA Mungo Slade, right? You know, with Jimmy Walker, downright nasty with strength. And the whole hypnotizing and all this other stuff going on. And so he's passed on. He was humanitarian. He did a lot of ambassador work later on in life, and he has a resume that truly speaks for itself. He's an ancestor um, that has put in some work, uh, first African-American and Bohemian-American to win an Oscar. Um, he put the work in, man, and his resume speaks for itself. He lived a long life. He uh, believes he was behind a, a beautiful family and whatnot, and so shout out to Sidney Portier, Omicron. I talked about that when we first came on with the with you know the the vaccines stuff like that. Well, Texas Children's Hospital down in Texas, one of the largest pediatric hospitals in the country, reported that their ICUs are overrun with children um, infected by COVID. You know, kids they got kids on respirators and stuff like that. They're just overrun. You know, uh, they were reporting at one point I think it was uh, several hundred kids a day were showing up in the ER at uh, Texas Children's Hospital. Um, And, you know, some of those kids, a lot of those kids, their ICU beds are all full with COVID cases. And so um, they're saying CDC is reporting that 16% of kids ages 5 to 11 or 5 to 12 are are, are vaccinated. So that number is really, really low. Um, Really, really low. Um, And so kids need to you know we need to get our vaccines you know um i know people may say well you're pro vac you're pro vac you're pro vac it's not necessarily that i'm pro vac you know i know vaccines that have helped people and i know vaccines that have hurt people right but this is an unprecedented virus that has come about and we've seen the damage 800 plus 812 or 800 plus 1000 people have died from this virus and you know um, of a, of a certain age, I a cancer survivor with one kidney left, you know, hypertension, a few pounds overweight, stuff like that, and I would rather not take that chance. And I just put my faith that the good Lord has put the right people in place to get this done. Plus, you know, the science is is, is from my from understanding and research has been there. You know, saw the first version of SARS, I think it was SARS one and and MERS, um kind of set the markers and also HIV treatments with the protein therapy have set the markers for what the vaccines can be built on. And so one of the things that science and medicine does is they don't always try to recreate the wheel. And so, you know, from what I've read, the, these vaccines that have been put out were able to be put out so fast because they already had the process or the, or the, the precursors with SARS and MERS. All they just had to do was just build on it. And they build on it pretty quickly. And the only thing I would really question was the amount of time that it took to test. But at this point, you know, that point to me is mute because I got both vaccines. I had a, a reaction to the second dose of Moderna. Um, I didn't have a reaction to the fir- to the first and I had no reaction to the booster. Um, and so everybody's different, and I would rather, I would urge people that if you urge people to get vaccinated, but if you don't, at least, at least wear your mask, you know, to protect yourself and also to protect others. Because there's been people out there that have decided, I'm not taking the vaccine, I ain't wearing no mask, and then the next thing you know, they end up either really bad sick or 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 worse dead because of the vaccine. So, you know, just do what you need to do. I mean, it's a personal choice. And you heard me on this podcast say it's a personal choice and that you have to live with the choices you make. It's like I had to live with the choice that I made that I'm gonna take the vaccine. And so, that's the choice that I make. And if the vaccine does something to my body years down the line, then that's something I'm gonna to have to live with. You know? Um, but I have my faith in the good Lord that he will protect my body. Um, with this vaccine in it and keep me healthy uh, for as long as the time he wants me to be here uh, because it's all in his will anyway. Um, And so I'll do that. Um, Speaking of dying, um, last week, 19 people in New York City died um, in a huge apartment fire in the Bronx. Um, Nine children uh, out of the 19 people are dead. Um, More than 60 people were injured and this happened in a 120-unit apartment building in the Bronx, and and the new New York mayor, African-American mayor, I think his last name is Adams, said that this is the worst building fire they've seen in years, and apparently it was caused by a malfunctioning space heater. Um, So we gotta be very careful. when it comes to things like that, we got to make sure that our buildings are up to, up to code, up to stuff. And if we use space heaters, please keep an eye on them. We'll make sure the space heaters are are in good repair so that things like this don't happen. So prayers and condolences to the families of the 19 that have lost their lives um, due to this unfortunate incident. Um, Prayers for healing and recovery for those 60 plus people that were injured. And, um, just prayers to all of the people involved in this 120-story, 120 120-unit 120 building that may be displaced, that they, that the, state, the city of New York finds them housing, temporary housing and shelter, and that they're able to recover what they've lost. So prayers out to that. Uh, now for some good news, so some, some feel-good stuff, right? CVS. You heard it, CVS. Charles Victor... Sam, CVS on military phonetics, um, phonetics, Charlie, Victor, Sierra. CVS is committing millions of dollars toward housing for people with developmental disabilities and under other underserved groups, meaning the homeless. The company r- said recently they would invest $11.6 million to develop an apartment complex that will offer 171 units for those who are homeless, or at risk of becoming homeless persons with physical intellectual or developmental disabilities and youth that are aging out of the foster care system. So big up to CVS is that the move was part of a commitment to address racial inequality and social detriments of detriments of health in underserved communities, CVS said. So the complex of studio apartments known as Espero Austin at Rutland will be located in Austin, Texas, and will include a fitness center, community room, bike parking, and other amenities. CVS said it's working with, you know, uh, Karatas, spelled with a C, of Austin, the Vincenzo Group, and the Austin Housing Finance Corporation to build a new housing. Funding is also coming from the city of Austin and the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs. So big up to CVS for doing this. Um... You know, more companies actually, the CVS and even some billionaires, hence, i.e. Bezos and and uh, Musk and Gates and all these other guys that's got these hundreds of millions of dollars can actually do a lot more of this too. And not just in Austin, but, you know, create what I call Veteran Centers of America because we got a lot of veterans out there that are actually homeless and committing suicide. And you can actually create something similar housing units and I and this is what I would do my thing is this and like I said big ups to CVS for looking out for the um disability community the underserved the homeless as well as the youth transition out of, out of foster care for building these units and I pray that this 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 bill goes through successfully and that this project is has long-term success It has great outcomes from it. Um, God bless the people that are involved. God bless CVS, the Caradas of Austin Group, um, the Vicenzo Group, and the Austin Housing Authority, Housing Finance Corporation, um, and the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs. Shout out to them for the blessing by them participating. And my prayer is that this is truly humanitarian. And we should all have humanitarian efforts like this. And so, you know, the Veteran Centers of America should be similar. I would invest, if, if I was a billionaire, and this is just me talking, my thing is this if I was a billionaire, like Bezos had that kind of money, I would turn around and invest in VC. I call it VCA, Veteran Centers of America. Go to every major city. Um, or every areas where there's military bases and stuff like that to check out to see what the veteran community looks like. And then they start building these apartments or housing units. And I would then turn around and employ veterans who have specialties in social work, uh, mental health counseling, um, job coaching and all that kind of stuff and put them in charge of these veteran Centers of America and basically create you know this center where you qualify because you're a veteran and then you would get treated for whatever you're dealing with. And then you would get placed in, you know, if it's rehab for drugs, you go to rehab. If it's mental health counseling, you would get that on an ongoing basis, but then you also be taught life skills and job skills. And because it's Veterans Centers of America, you know, you would put people in charge to make sure that the facilities are kept clean. I mean, it would be kind of like a barracks, but not a barracks. Um, just to keep our people that are capable um, of keeping them clean, it's like they did in the military. Think about when you was in the military. If you ever served in the military, everything had to be spotless. You're responsible for that. And so I would have people that run this to ensure that our veterans live along the same lines because a clean space, a clean place to live makes you feel good about yourself. It gives you opportunities to do things that you don't spend time a lot of time cleaning up, you can do more things. And so those are the things that I would do. I would create these veteran centers of America to get our veterans off the street and get them the help they need and then help them matriculate back out into the community. Um, get them the mental health counseling, substance abuse counseling, alcohol abuse counseling, and then put them into work and job programs within the Veteran Centers of America and partner with the community. And then after successful completion, they get hired on a job. Then we assist them with finding housing and then they move on and, and, and then make the bed or spot available for the next veteran that we can pull in and, and, and help and serve. So that's what I would do. Uh, I will create Veteran Centers of America. And then, On the flip side of that, right, CVS made the news again. So CVS, there was a case um, that CVS had that made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And this was a case where it was being argued that CVS was discriminating in their prescription drug policies and stuff like that against people who receive HIV medicines, right? And it made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And it actually was kind of if if CVS had won it would have opened a door for them to basically dismantle um, 504 and maybe even some to some degree IDEA I don't know but 504 definitely um those those regulations that have been put in put in place for people living with disabilities been able to dismantle that but here's what CVS did CVS didn't turn around and withdrew Um, their court case. They dropped their court case. They dropped it when it got to the Supreme Court level. They tried to change their heart. They dropped it. Um, CBS withdraws Supreme Court case on dis Supreme Court case on disability rights and announces a new partnership. And so, they basically dropped that court case, and um, they formally withdrew their complaint and announced a partnership with four groups, including the American Association for People with Disabilities, the AAPD, and the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. And so we've agreed to pursue policy solution in collaboration with the disability community to help protect access to affordable health plans, programs that apply equally to all members, the CVS spokesman said. Any further legal proceedings will take place in district court when the case is remanded. And so they basically dropped their case and it stemmed from a lawsuit against CVS by multiple people who take prescription drugs for hiv and aids and the plaintiffs objected to changes to the company's terms that meant they could not opt out of mail-only delivery or utilize another pharmacy with the experience handling their special education with experience handling their, their special medication needs and so they argued um argued that it had a discriminatory impact on them even if that wasn't the company's intent. So there we go, I, and I talked about this, I talked about this a couple of podcasts ago about disability laws they put in place and how these laws or these acts that they do are basically sometimes neutral, right? So you wanna make, like an example I gave was voting. So you wanna make voting equitable. So you do all the ancillary things on the outside to make it equitable, right? But then when COVID hit and everybody had to go to mail-in paper ballots, right, you discriminated against the blind. Did you come up with a, a Braille alternative or some other alternative for people who can't, who are legally blind, 100% legally blind and can't see the mail-in ballots to actually vote? And so those were those unintended things that happened, you know, to people with disabilities where you claim you're or you, on the surface it's like you're passing a viable rights act or law. But then when the circumstance shifts or changes, then all of a sudden that law you created becomes discriminatory against the person with a disability. And voting mail-in paper ballots was a perfect example that they used. Because how's a blind person going to see the mail-in paper ballot? So big ups to CVS on that. Um, for reversing course on that uh, and changing um, and changing that. Um, You know, you guys probably know from previous podcasts, I am a father of a young adult living with ADHD and autism. So we've gone through the special education and disability journey. And one of the things that, you know, was available to us is Social Security benefits for our son. And so, um, they released the Social Security Administration re- released a, a new thing where um, Social Security is rising in 2022 by five percent. So millions of Americans with disabilities are going to see a big bump in their Social and Secu- their Supplemental Social Security Income or SSI and other Social Security benefits. So monthly payments are growing five point nine percent, according to the Social Security Administration, the SSA. It said the change applies to SSA payments beginning December 30th and Social Security benefits paid this month. This is in December, at the end of December. And so the increase is due to an automatic cost of living adjustment or COLA, which is tied to inflation and based on the consumer price index from the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, right? And so this year's COLA or cost of living allowance is the largest it's been since 1992. And for individuals receiving receive SSI, the maximum benefit for 2022 will rise to $841 a month. It says this figure is $1,261 for couples. And so actual payments could be higher since some states contribute more. So the Social Security Administration said it mailed notices in December to beneficiaries detailing new payment amounts. Most people can also access the information online through the Social Security through their Social Security account, the agency said. So people receiving SSI benefits are going to see a huge jump in SSI benefits. This year in 2022, a 5.9% increase And so that's good because inflation is going up. Everything is costing a lot more now. And so it's only fair that our individuals receiving Social Security supplemental income um, gets that bump as well because they're living on the fixed income. This this check, it's $841 they get is for the entire month. So, you know, that's it. They get it in the first of the month and they got to live off $841 for the rest of the month. And so if you're living with um, a disability and you have SSI and you have to pay rent, you got to pay rent, you got to pay for your toiletries, you got to do all those things um, with your money, and you got to make that that $841 stretch out um, over that time. So big ups to the Social Security Administration and Bureau of Labor Statistics um, for bumping that COLA up. And I think all things should be bumped up across the board. I mean, we live in a country wealthy enough to where nobody actually really has to be poor. You know, and I'm not saying, you know, for those people that have um, achieved a certain level of wealth and so on and so forth, that we, you know, take back from them what they work hard for. But, you know, when you got billionaires, able to skirt around taxes and billionaire companies able to skirt around taxes and not be taxed, that's where you can get that money from, you know? And then on top of that too, these companies themselves, these businesses themselves, they know how to, they know what the operating costs are, what the expenses are, what the liability insurance and stuff like that is. And so, you know, think about it, man. I mean, like I'll give an example. I'm just going to give an example, right? Right. And this is something that a friend of mine talk about all the time, because you know, we both kind of quasi do our little own home improvement projects. You know, change out of the toilet, you know, change out of the light fixture, you know, stuff that is not too far above our heads before we have to call somebody. And we had a conversation one day, and we were talking about those costs. And I was telling him, I said, you know, I was talking to my boys I grew up with. Shout out to Gavin and Admiral and Ronnie and Jack and Dante, a.k.a. Squirm. Rest in peace to my man, Spark. Um, Was talking with them about, you know, how these trades are still going to be viable. Um, Even going into the future, especially now they're talking about AI is going to replace a lot of stuff. I would love to see AI replace an air conditioning unit in a furnace. I would love to see AI do that. I would love to see A.I. retile a bathroom or put on a roof or put a door on or remodel a kitchen or bathroom or cut down um, trees in your backyard. Um, rewire your electric. Um, all that. I would love to see A.I. do that. A.I. is not going to do that. Right. So we were talking on one Zoom call we was doing and we talked about how, you know, Looking back on it now, many, many years later after graduating high school and going on with our lives, some going to college, some going to the military and so on and whatnot, um, that we all should have probably did something at vote tech, whether it be auto mechanics, whether it be carpentry, woodworking, whether it be HVAC or whether it be electrician, because these people are always going to get paid. And so you got electricians and plumbers out here making six figures a year. But here's where it gets interesting in the conversation that I had, and I'm tying this back to that there's enough money in this country for everybody to not be, you know, um, living in poverty, so to speak. Everybody have a fair wage. And I'm going to talk about Dan Price, which you heard me talk about in the podcast before, that kind of ties into this too because he just released something recently about his company and how they do things in his company. But anyway, my friend and I were talking about you know how much it truly costs to have a contract to come in and do the work, right? Well, you gotta have a skill set in order to be able to do that, right? Do that work. Okay, that's number one. You gotta have a skill set. You gotta develop that skill set. You gotta be good at it, so on and so forth. Now, if you put the work in, right? And say, for instance, your expertise is elect um, woodwork carpentry, where you do, you know, you can remodel basements, put in floors you know, do those sorts of things with your hands, right? And so, or even if they're an electrician, right? And so you come in, like most companies that you call, especially electric, like electrical companies will come in, it's either 95 or $110 just for them to show up. Then on top of that, when they show up, then whatever they're troubleshooting and they have to fix, if it's a part that needs to be replaced or something needs to be put in, they're going to charge you triple of what it actually costs that item for them to put in or the actual cost of the item they're gonna put in, right? Then on top of that, they're gonna charge you a labor fee associated with that of like some god awful number, 95 to $100 an hour, and some of these guys don't even spend 15 minutes putting their stuff in, right? And so we talked about that. We talked about how um, sometimes these guys seem to be getting over. And one of the things my buddy was talking about was If you're a contractor and you're good at what you do, why would you go and charge people exorbitant prices for you to do your work that you can do in your sleep? Because think about it. If I'm an independent contractor, got my MHIC um, license, got my contractor's license, right? And I'm working for myself, right? If a competitor of mine is gonna charge a homeowner $675 675 or 800 bucks to put a toilet in, right? I'm just using it as an arbitrary, right? But they're going to charge that much for a toilet, put a toilet in. That's going to take someone that's skilled and been doing this for a while all but, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes to do, right? Well, me, I would charge them a couple hundred bucks less, right? And be realistic about it, especially if I can do it and do it to a point where I'm doing it in my sleep. If it takes me 20 minutes to put a put a toilet in, right? Why would I charge somebody seven eight hundred dollars to put a toilet in when it only takes me 15 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes to do it? Right? Why would I charge them that much? Because what that does is that puts that homeowner in a place where, well, damn, you're gonna charge me this much. I don't know if I'm gonna call you back the next time. I may have to shop around a little bit. Right, and then they come across me where, hey, can you come put this new toilet in for me? How much is it going to cost? Well, the toilet itself is going to probably cost you $250, $250, right? If you want me, I can pick that up for you. If not, you buy the toilet yourself, and in my my time and my labor, to rip out the old toilet, dispose of that toilet, and then put your new stuff in is going to be $600, Well, that's $200 less than what the other guy was going to charge you. And so if you charge your customers reasonable prices, right, you're going to have repeat customers. And I think some people charge these exorbitant prices because they really want to get rich. And I'm not saying you should diminish your skill and your knowledge and experience by no means. But if you want to keep steady money, because here's what'll happen. That customer that, had me, that I put in that, that toilet for $650 as opposed to $850, it's going to call me back, right? When they need something else done, right? And I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, okay, it's going to cost you, you know, I don't know, to put a ceiling fan in, it's going to cost you $250 for 175 $150, whereas competitors are charging you probably a couple hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollars more, right? I'm only gonna charge you one fifty. If you already bought the fan, then it doesn't take much for me 15, 20 minutes to wire your stuff, hook it up. That's a hundred and fifty dollars an hour. From basically I'm charging them one hundred fifty dollars for the hour. And I haven't even worked a full hour, right? So now it doesn't satisfy customer, right? And now I move on. Now they now they want something else done. Oh, can you retire my, my kitchen or retire my bathroom, right? Well, I've got experience in that bathrooms only what i don't know 75 80 square 80 square feet i don't know what bathrooms typically run i can demo that bathroom in a couple hours get everything cleaned out right and then actually get everything prepped and ready to go and in 45 minutes to an hour then i can go ahead and start laying the tiles um in X amount of time, you know? Because with tiling work, you got to cut and measure and cut, measure and cut, and stuff like that. So it'll take a little bit more time, but at the same time, I'm not going to charge you $1,000 to retile a 150 square foot bathroom. Doesn't make sense. A 150 square foot bathroom, I'm not going to charge you $1,000 to do. I'll be realistic and put a put a, a hourly rate for myself. Especially if I'm real good, 150 to 200 dollars an hour, right? And that's fair and even if I'm there for 15 20 minutes, right? You know, putting a toilet in for, you know, that plus, you know, whatever my t- I mean, I'm just saying, you, you get what I'm saying? I hope, I hope you get what I'm saying is that we don't need to have people out here charging people these exorbitant amount of monies and that's where the greed kicks in and then you develop and create your own company and you start paying your work, you start getting rich off your off your labor and then the cycle repeats itself with capitalism. So you just need to make sure that you, you know, do what's right by the customer, but also it talks about greed too. And So going back to there being enough money for everybody, um, there is enough money in this country for everybody to not live in poverty. Um, again, you just have to be mindful. And I know people out here working, busting their tail for their businesses and stuff like that, and they deserve the spoils. But how much of it is really deserving of spoils versus actually the straight-up greed? And I think that's where the fine line comes in. So, you know, Dan Price, Dan Price Seattle, owns a credit card processing company out in in the Portland, Oregon area or Portland, Seattle area. And um, he talked about this um, the other day on the Instagram post. Talked about how he's got 75 employees at his company. He said he's received a loan in 2021 $25,000 Job applications for 75 positions at his company. 25,000 people have applied to his company. Now, this is the Dan Price Seattle that starts you out walking in the door with 70 grand. He's the guy that stopped his million dollar salary to drop himself down to 70 grand. I don't know if he's still doing it now, but he did all this, I think, back in 2015. But I've noticed how we're just now hearing about Dan Price on, a, on a, a larger scale now because he's the Jerry Maguire business. You know, the Jeff Bezos and the other people in the world don't want to hear his manifesto on how, you know, I'm the CEO. I don't really need that much money. I don't need to get that much. I do really need to get that rich. I'm going to pay my people this, this sort of salary to be fair. What it's done is his retention rate is probably the best in the business because nobody's left. Now, he starts everybody up with 70 grand, right? But, you know, of course, you know, it's a business and you got to grow in your position. You get raises and merit raises and increases like that. So, not everybody's staying at 70 grand. And he's built a sense of loyalty. Those 75 people he got working for him ain't leaving and going nowhere. As long as the work continues to be, you know, um, enjoyable and they keep getting their raises, why would they go anywhere? You can walk in the door making 70 grand and think about that. If you're there with that company over say a five to six year period, depending on what you do, well, not really that I mean, you can be a six figures in five years, maybe five to ten years, you can be a six figure so half three quarters of the company could be a six figures at some point because he created that loyalty by saying nobody can live off of less than seventy grand a year in my company. And he put in, he put his money where his mouth is and, and put it into action. So that's Dan Price. And so, you know, we just got to be mindful um, that there's a lot of money out here. Um, if we can get off our high horse and stop being so greedy, it can help a lot of people, you know. Pursue your passion, you know. Um, and if your passion affords you a whole bunch of money, don't let the money change your passion or don't let the money change you with your passion. The same passion energy you you had to, to get yourself in that position, don't let that money change you. Still be who you are. If as you were pursuing your passion and growing your growing your company, growing your business, you drove a Honda Accord, well, five years later and your company's value at 500 to a billion dollars, don't change that Honda Accord. Keep driving it. You know, keep driving it. Why would you change? Because then that change becomes starts to become, you know, material and that material can lead to even more capitalism. Stay who you are. Be humble and stay who you are. And then of course, you know, we live in a free world where people have free will and, and people can do what they want to do and some people will say, Well, you ain't gonna tell me what to do with my money. That's what you would do. I ain't telling me what to do with my money. But um, you know, I just you know, people I just people I guess people should I don't want to say, should people could be more loving and caring and compassionate toward others, you know, the good book says we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. One of the biggest things that Jesus did when he walked this earth many, many years, many, many thousand old years ago was to love others. He had the ultimate knowledge and the ultimate wisdom, and he knew who was going to betray him, but he loved them anyway. He knew that we were all jacked up jokers, but he loved on us anyway. He took that beating and down on the cross for us anyway, and so we can get to that point where we can show that love for humanity and people. I think our world could be a better place. Um, maybe even maybe we, we all need to start practicing some sort of some form of stoicism. You know, they talk about the Stoics. You know, the Marcus Aurelius and the Epictetus Epi, or Epideipetus. These guys were Stoics. Both be people that were really, really restrained, but full of knowledge and understanding. And So one of the things, one of the Stoics said, I think it might have been—I don't want to misquote it, so I won't—I won't say who said it. But you know, they talked about being able to control, knowing what you can control, and knowing what you can't control. And one of the stories talked about that, and they talked about the Serenity of Prayer: "God grant me the, grant me the, um, wisdom to." Except, grant, grant me the wisdom accept the things that i that i accept the things I can't change the things to change the things that i can and to know the difference i may have gotten that quote backwards but basically it's giving you the wisdom and knowledge to know the difference between the things you can change and the things you cannot and the things you cannot change you don't waste your time on those things um, you don't spend energy on those things you know if the airport is shut down because of weather why spend your time and energy fussing about the airport being shut down and, and because of weather because that's not you going to control the weather you know just be focused on what you can control and do your best to control the things you can control and not worry about the things that you can't control because my thing is this we all need to be the best version that we can of ourselves and we can't do that if we're worrying about things that we can't control worry about the things that we can't and Know the difference. I'm out. Like what you hear so far. Thank you, our generous listeners. And also thank the mighty man of God himself. Remember, like, subscribe. Also share this podcast. I'm on Anchor FM and Spotify. Make sure you share this with your family, friends, and loved ones across all social media platforms. We are back to the show. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. Be sure to tune in next week. Hit the like and subscribe buttons. And then remember, the next time somebody says something, suspect or, eh, tell them my thing is this. Because your opinion matters. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Have a blessed week, and we are out.